Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading is Psalm 3, which is on page 544. It's the Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes! How many rise up against me! Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. The second reading can be found on page 999. Um, It's from Matthew chapter 27 beginning to read at verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers round him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. 
In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we stand. Father God, we do thank you that you're a God who wants to be known by us and you reveal yourself to us. And we pray that tonight we would come to see you more and understand you more, that our hearts would be gladdened, that our resolve strengthened to keep trusting in you, our faithful God. We pray that tonight you would show us again the glories of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as you sit down, if you please turn again in your Bibles to Psalm 3. And we're going to consider that together for a few moments now. There was a, a dark and snowy winter's afternoon. I remember it quite clearly. It must have been about 20 years ago now when we left school and snowballs were flying everywhere, particularly at those coming out of the school gates. Snowballs flying to whoever came out unsuspectingly. But there was one girl who emerged, and I remember quite clearly because a group of about 10 lads started targeting her, and they threw snowball after snowball at her and shouted abuse at her. Now, the reason that she was targeted was because her father had refused to go to fight in the army, and so she bore the brunt of these peoples ganging up against her. It was quite horrific at the time. Now, you may never have felt anything like that, but have you felt that experience of everyone ganging up on you, being alone in the midst of a group? Now, everybody in the group don't really want you to be there. Now, there could be any reasons, number of reasons for it happening, but you get the impression these people don't love you or don't want you to be there. They would rather that you just weren't there. You feel alone, you feel threatened, and you're horribly upset by it. In some ways, I imagine that's what David Warner's feeling in the cricket at the moment. Every time he seems to do anything, he's booed for it. But you see, the situation in which David finds himself in this psalm is like that. Everyone is ganging up against him. We see it from the title of the psalm. Did you hear when we read it? A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Now, just to say, when we say that, verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible would be that title. So this is part of the word of God. Often in other parts of the Bible, you see titles like this and you, you don't immediately think this is part of the Bible because they've been added. In the psalm, this is part of the inspired word of God. It's verse one, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. And so we read this psalm in that light, in the light of David escaping when his son raised up forces to fight against him. And you can read the story of what happened in 2 Samuel 15. The whole affair was a very sad time in David's family life. Now, I'm sure we've all experienced loved ones saying things which are a bit nasty. I hate you. I can remember saying that to my parents and looking back, how that must have stung as I said those words. But just think how much it must have hurt to have your son wanting to depose you and take your crown from you. You see, that's what happened when Absalom raised an army to fight against his father. And so his father fleed from Jerusalem as his enemies mounted up against him. And tonight, as we read this psalm, we're going to be instructed about having the feelings of being got at, of when people gang up against us, those feelings of estrangement in relationships. 
The feelings of being surrounded by people who don't love you, surrounded by people who don't like you, surrounded by people who just can't stand you being in this room. And as we come to the psalm, we need to be careful how we do that. The psalm's got some very profound answers to the question and to the problem, and yet we need to understand the psalm rightly if we're going to mine those treasures. And if we are careful, I think there is great delight to be found here, great encouragement for us. There are truths which can gladden our hearts tonight. Well, to understand this psalm and find the encouragement it brings, we're going to see the following. Here's a summary of what I think the psalm is saying. The suffering Christ turns to God and rests, praying for deliverance. Now, we'll look at it in four sections. First, we'll see the suffering Christ in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, we'll see that the suffering Christ turns to God in verses 3 and 4. Thirdly, we'll see the suffering Christ turns to God and rests, verses 5 and 6. And fourthly, the suffering Christ turns to God and rests, praying for deliverance in verses 7 and 8. So the suffering Christ turns to God and rests, praying for deliverance. Well, firstly, the suffering Christ The title of that highlights one of the dangers we must be careful to avoid. You see, that is the danger of applying this psalm, Psalm 3, too quickly to ourselves. You see, as we read this psalm, it was penned by a person in a particular situation. It was penned by a particular man. You'll see all the way through the psalm that it's written in the first person. You see, it's filled with the words me, my, and I. Just look at verses 1 and 2. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Or verse five, for example, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. You see, here is a personal prayer by a particular man facing severe trial. And this man is none other than King David. And all of the kings of Israel were described as the Lord's anointed one. And the anointed one is called the Messiah or the Christ. All those three things mean the same. And so here we're not looking at just any man's facing trial. Here we're looking at the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And here we have the, the suffering Christ portrayed for us in this psalm. Now if we had started in reading the psalms in Psalm 1 tonight... We would have just finished Psalm 2 where we were introduced to the anointed one. Now flick back a page in your Bibles and see what is said there. In Psalm 2 and verse 2 we see that the world is railing against the Lord and against his anointed one. We see that God laughs at that and says in verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion my hill. And then see what this one will do in verse 9. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. It's quite an extraordinary picture, isn't it, of the Lord's anointed, of God's king, defeating all his enemies. And yet here we come to hear the king praying in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. 
you see, the, the king of Israel has seen the nation turn against him. He's had to flee his palace, his residence in disgrace. On the way out of Jerusalem, a man called Shimei even has the confidence to throw stones at this king, shouting at him, get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. It doesn't really look like the mighty anointed one of Sam too, does it? And it's what they're saying about him which is so stinging in Sam 3. Do you see it at the end of verse 2? God will not deliver him. God is not with him. The whole point of Psalm 2 was that God was with his anointed one. God had anointed him. God had given him power. And now the enemies are surrounding him and saying, God's not with you. God will not save you. No, as Shimei said, the Lord has given your kingdom to another. God has abandoned you. And so here we have the suffering Christ. And this is a theme which we will see time and time again in the Psalms. And if we read through the Bible, you see the same, the, the same theme there. The Christ suffers. The Christ is opposed and he is dejected and he is turned away. He is rejected by men. And ultimately, that's what we see in the Lord Jesus now, I was reading uh, Spurgeon this week in a, a, a volume that my grandpa gave me, and he had a lovely way of putting it. This is what he said. He says, in his agonies here portrayed, there is here, and in many of the other Psalms, far more of David's Lord than of David himself. Now, just think about it, the reading that we had in Matthew 27. The soldiers mocked Jesus, dressing him up as a puppet king and jeering at him, showing they thought he was no king. The people who passed by the cross said, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. The religious leaders joined in, raising their voices. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he says, I am the son of God. Do you hear the echo? God will not deliver him. They think there's nothing of God in him as he hangs on that cross. Even those who were crucified with him mocked him and reviled him. How many were his foes? How many rose up against him? How many were saying of him, God will not deliver him? And in the end, do you remember Jesus' cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see the pain and the agony that the king of kings felt as he hung on the cross. And we see in Psalm 3 here, David beset by enemies. But much more is a psalm about the king who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. The suffering Christ is a theme right through the Old Testament and seen in the Lord Jesus. It's no accident that Christ suffers. That was always the plan. And once we start to see that, 
that this is a psalm about the Christ, we can start to see how it starts to apply to us. You see, it's a psalm about the Christ, and as Christians, we are disciples of Christ. We are followers of Christ, and we also follow him in his sufferings. You see, the New Testament is very clear that the followers of Christ will suffer for following him. Now, I've been studying the letter of Philippians for a little while, and this is what Paul says. He says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. In Thessalonians, he says, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. Now, Peter can even say to suffering Christians, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You see, when we suffer for Christ, that's what the psalm applies to. And be careful, it's not speaking of us when we make enemies for ourselves through our sinful behavior, through our silly actions, through our selfish, self-centered actions. Now you can get that sometimes, can't you? Our actions make people bristle at us. Not because of anything to do with us being Christians, just that we've been silly. You see, this psalm applies to those enemies who mount up against us because we are followers of Christ. Now, there's stories that you could name all around the world of this happening. I was speaking to somebody this week who had received a letter from a friend of hers. And in the letter, this friend said how her mother had been taken into, um, who'd been arrested and questioned because she was a follower of Jesus. Enemies rising up against her because of her faith in Christ. Now, in this country, we might not have uh, physical abuse in, in that. We might not be arrested for our faith. And yet, there is so many who rise up against Christians, isn't there? I was speaking to someone else recently, and she had been really unsettled in her faith. The reason is she is surrounded by people who say God doesn't exist. Jesus wasn't really dying on the cross for you. He didn't even come back to life. You are a bit silly if you believe that. Jesus never existed. You see, there are people who are hostile to the Lord Jesus and his gospel. They might present themselves as the neutral ground, the, the atheists who say, this is, this is normal life. And yet they're not normal. They are standing against the Lord and against his anointed. And as followers, they stand, as followers of Christ, they stand against us too. And so many, in many conversations I've had with people who have faced that kind of uh, taunting from people, it ends up in them saying they are doubting the faith. Is it really true? Will I be saved? Do I really need to be saved? You might be feeling that right now. The foes which are rising up against you as a follower of Christ are those who are making you doubt that Christ even existed. Doubt that you can be saved or need to be saved. And it's a horrible experience because we don't want it to be like this. It's an alienating experience. An experience of being got at because you're a disciple of Christ. So we see in Psalm 3 the suffering Christ. But then we see the suffering Christ turns to God. Did you see it in verses 3 and 4? But you're a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me. 
from his holy hill. David turns to God. From his enemies surrounding him, David turns to Yahweh, to his God. And in turning, he reminds himself of what is significant. It brings him perspective. Recently, I was in Hungary doing an acorn camp. And being away in a foreign country, it made me realize that I rely on cursing my wife much more than I realized I did. Often when I'm getting in a twist about something and thinking, what should I do in this situation? I realize that Kirsty is the person I turn to and I ask her, am I being stupid? Is this, am I just being a bit of an idiot? And sometimes she says, yes, that, that's, that's exactly right. Other times she says, no, I think you're right in what you're thinking. I think you should do that. You see, in, in bringing it that to her and turning to her in that way, it brings perspective on situations. And you see, David in turning to God finds perspective. He finds in God someone he can trust. He reminds himself that God is a shield around him, that God bestows glory on him and lifts up his head. You see, David reminds himself of the promises God has made. It's only because of God's promises that David could pray this kind of thing. He's promised that God, he reminds himself that God has promised to establish his rule and his reign. He remembers that God is always faithful. He remembers that God has saved him in the past and will save him again in the future and he will save him now. He remembers that God is always true, that God is always trustworthy. Similarly, on the cross, Jesus could pray, Father, into into your hands I commit my spirit. As if he was praying, you are a shield around me, O God. Imagine if you were at the foot of the cross If you heard Jesus pray that, you are a shield around me, O God. Can you imagine the mockers at that point? Don't be silly. You're dying on a cross. God won't save you. How stupid are you to pray such a silly thing? And yet David turns to God and he prays to his father, you're a shield around me, O God. He cries to the God who's made promises. The enemies are saying he can't believe and trust God and yet David reminds himself of what God says. And the same happens for us. When we are caused to doubt whether Christ even existed, we remember the promises that God has made. We see them again. And yet so often I think when I speak to people they don't follow the example of David here. Prayer becomes impossible for them. They feel that God's not going to listen to them. God doesn't exist because they're listening to those who cause them to doubt God. And when we don't pray, we're in a terrible situation. You see, it's one of the things I find time and time again, people when they doubt don't pray. Can I say that we, if you're in that position, we need to cry out to God Remind God again of the promises he's made. Not that God needs reminding, but it brings us perspective. You see, the gospel of the Lord Jesus makes clear and present promises for us now. And as we, can, as we suffer, we can turn to him, remembering those things, and we can find strength. Those things can restore our confidence. Again, prayer changes our perspective, and prayer is powerful and effective. It changes things. And so you see, thirdly, the change it brings for David. Now, we've seen that the suffering Christ turns to God. 
And next we see that the suffering Christ turns to God and rests. The verses 5 and 6, I think, are quite remarkable in this psalm. You see, David has still got a clear-sighted understanding of the reality of the situation, and yet he can rest. Look what he says. Verse 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. You see, even in the midst of the turmoil and the anxious worry, here is David able to lie down and sleep. It's not that he's forgotten the enemies. Rather, he is able to have a sense of calm in the midst of the reality of the situation. And the reason he can be calm is that he turned to God. He knows that God can be trusted. Even though the situation seems hopeless, he can trust God. And trusting God drives out fear. And have you had that experience of being kept awake by worry? Now, I've had that kind of thing in the middle of the night, and it's awful. To my mind in turmoil, thinking about the things which I need to do and the things I've not done. Thinking about all the things that I need to do. Working out how I'm going to get myself out of this hole. And I see my inability and all that causes me to do is to think harder of how am I going to get out of this? But you see what David does is quite different. He has turned to God And now he no longer needs to strive because God is a God who can be trusted. Here here he is resting secure in the knowledge that God is in control. He's not striving to find the solution for the situation. He can't strive to make things better. God's his shield. Here he is trusting in his father in heaven again. So we've seen the suffering Christ turning to God and resting Well, the final part is that he prays for deliverance. The suffering Christ turns to God and rests, praying for deliverance. Look at verses 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. David prays and asks for deliverance. Deliverance from all who have spoken ill of him and of God. And he asks for them to be silenced, really. And I think that's the point of the request for God to break their jaws and teeth. Let those who slander you by saying that you do not exist be silenced. Let those who mock your anointed one be silenced. You see, God promised in Psalm 2 that those who stand and mock him would be silenced. And so David prays. Those who are standing against God and all that is good will be judged. You see, these are people who are wanting to rid the world of God. And just remember what the Bible says. Every pure and perfect gift comes from God. They are standing against everything that is good. They stand against God and his anointed one. They want to destroy him and for him to be taken away. And David prays that he would be delivered through the removal of those who say that. And as we've seen David resting because he trusts in God, so he continues. He continues because he realizes that salvation comes from God. You see, he says that there. You see, salvation comes from no other than God himself, verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. 
You see, we cannot be the ones to bring deliverance. It comes from God. And so David here rests in that confidence. And as we see the deliverance of God for David, we see it all the more in the Lord Jesus. He he was there, he was hanging, mocked and jeered on the cross. He was murdered at that time. And yet the vindication of the Lord Jesus, of the suffering Christ came three days later when he came back to life. The Lord delivered him. He is no longer dead. God raised him to life, proclaiming that he was pleased with him. Jesus was just and righteous. And that is the great news of the gospel. That God shows his plan was always for his Christ to suffer, but yet to be vindicated, to be delivered. And that is what happens in the Lord Jesus. Now, did you see the marvelous finish to the the psalm? Verse 8, see it again. From the Lord comes deliverance. But look at this striking change here. May your blessings be on your people. Do you remember what we said at the beginning? All the way through this is a, a psalm in the first person. Me, my, I. And yet here, may your blessing be on your people. You see, when the Lord's anointed is vindicated and delivered, we find blessing. Because of the anointed one of God, we can know Blessing. And we know that because he is vindicated. That for us means sins forgiven. It means eternal life forever with him. It means so much for us. You see, when we suffer for our faith in Christ, let us remember that it is in Christ that blessing is found and nowhere else. There is nowhere else to find blessing. Now, as we face suffering, it might seem tempting to alleviate the pressure by dropping bits of the gospel. It might seem tempting to think we could pretend we don't really believe in Jesus at all. And yet that's just a chimera which will be found out to be so very quickly. The only security that we have comes through the deliverance of the anointed one who brings us blessing. And as Paul says in the New Testament, everything else is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And the reason being that is in him and nowhere else is there blessing to be found. So let us stand firm, brothers and sisters. Let us stand firm in our trust in God and his anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remembering that in him and in nowhere else there is blessing to be found. Let us never waver from our faith in the Lord Jesus when the suffering comes because of Christ. When the pressure to cave in comes, let's stand firm trusting in the promises of God, turning to him and crying out to him and resting secure in the knowledge which he gives. Remember, the deliverance of the Lord Jesus assures us of our blessing. And in the end, let's keep on holding out that word of life to those who would mock us, who would stand against us, who would say that it's a silly thing to believe in the Lord Jesus and his anointed. Men and women who mock are in a perilous position. The same position that we were in when we stood against God. Because never forget that we were at one time under the judgment of God and yet we found blessing through the Lord Jesus not because of our own merit but because of his suffering for us. 
You see, there's blessing to be found in the suffering of the Lord Jesus, even for those who mock and stand against him. As we were brought into salvation, so so can they. Because of the suffering of the Christ, they can know the blessing of God again. So let us hold on and hold out. Hold on unswervingly to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. And yet holding out that word of life to those who would mock us and stand against us. And show them that there is blessing to be found. Let's pray together. Oh, our great Heavenly Father, we want to give you great thanks for your goodness to us in saving us through the Lord Jesus. Father, we want to acknowledge that at one time we stood against you and against your anointed. And yet we thank you that through your greatness and your goodness in sending Christ to suffer for us, we can know blessing. Father, when we are facing the the persecution for Christ's sake, when we feel that our enemies are mounting up around us, help us to cling to your promises, which are yes in Christ Jesus and rest. Father, help us never to shrink back from proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen.